morning. Nice to see all of you. That is a little bit of a remarkable weekend. Uh, we had some uh, pretty great events that happened. I don't know if you heard or not, but our men's baseball team clinched their GSAC, tourna- uh, GSAC tournament bid this weekend. They went two for three over the weekend, which is pretty great. And I don't know, I actually, uh, and I don't know if you had experience or not, uh, but the Secret Garden sold out its final show this weekend. It was remarkable as well. So it really, uh, I mean, this really is your home. This is your place. Uh, this is where uh, you live, you learn, you invest. Uh, and we get to experience that in so many different ways together. It, uh, it really is remarkable. Then that these years, these university years, are, are truly uh, unique, aren't they? That as you think about them and as you reflect upon your time, uh, that I want to spend a couple of moments just highlighting what could be maybe the most significant crossroads during your university years. The other day I was in Starbucks and I was actually uh, preparing for uh, our time here. I was doing some study. I had kind of my notes out there. I was at the start of that new one on Lions where the old KFC used to be, you know. I was out there and I was studying and uh, this young man came up to me and, uh, and he sat down and he goes, uh, excuse me, I just, um, I felt compelled. I've been watching you and I feel compelled that I want to come over here and, and talk with you for a little bit. Uh, I've, I feel as though that, that what you're doing and how you're reflecting that you have some sort of deeper knowledge that, uh, that I want to access. And I tried not to laugh. I'm like, you know who you're talking to, right? I, I, was, I, I was standing there, and I really kind of sensed the moment from a supernatural perspective that uh, that doesn't happen to me very often. And, and to have somebody come and to sit down and say, look, I, I, I see something that I want to know. And as we began to talk, I, I just unfolded to him and said, look, simply, I have, no, I have no particular deep knowledge. I have no hidden knowledge. As a matter of fact, my opinion is not one that I would want for you to heed but rather what I can give you and what I have before you is the very words of God. And that you can look upon them and that you can know them. And that the knowledge of everything that is before you and how you are made and how the universe is constructed and how to live rightly is all found here. The deepest and truest knowledge that you can access is found in God's word. And so as we were talking, he began to unpack a little bit more. He's a university student, and he began to describe a little bit of just the uniqueness of the university years, that it becomes a a place of, it's different than any other season that is in your life, right? And he began to unfold and saying that it's this time where you begin to really start making things your own. And the challenges and the complexities of that, trying to transition and to understand who you are and who you're going to become and where you've come from. And then for the first time, feeling the weight of the responsibility of life on his shoulders. And I found that to be true, isn't it? That the university years that... That they are the years where you realize in new and more influential ways the the weight of your identity as you reflect and explore and recognize um, how to live life that is distinctively your own. Not to take just your 
your community upbringing, maybe even your parents or other leaders in your life's ideas to you, but really that this university year is establish a new season for life on your own. What does it really mean to be you? What does it mean to identify? And what are the convictions and the things that are going to establish that? Jonathan Edwards most famously wrote 70 resolutions. These were convictions. These were ideas that set for him the context by which he was going to live his life. And those resolutions were written um, essentially during his university years. So do you feel that? Do you feel that in the midst of um, creating and designing in theater or sports or academics or in your involvement up in the dorms or your life in your local church, that this season of life really starts to beg the question, what are you going to be about? When is it going to be yours, taking true ownership of the choices that you make? You know, it's fascinating. It's actually a real wonderful privilege to spend your university years in a place that helps to establish those convictions according to God's Word. You're surrounded by it. You are immersed in it. That everybody, at some point or another, is confronted with, exhorted to, encouraged in the Scriptures. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it even though you try. And I am persuaded that in every single heart that comes during the university years, and especially those who come to this university and are a part of this community, comes to one singular crossroads, is am I going to actually believe that the Word of God is true? Am I going to move away from just kind of thinking about it, playing with a little bit of Monopoly money, but actually leveraging and saying that this is true, that I'm going to understand and not just to understand and to know God's word, but I'm going to resolve in my heart to actually live it out. It's a fascinating crossroads, isn't it? Are we going to choose and... Are you going to choose, am I going to choose the cacophony of best practices and opinions that are around me? Or is what is going to define my life and really to make it my own that I'm going to resolve to live according to God's word? To live according to the truth. And that's what I've entitled our message today is is resolving to live in the truth so open your bibles to second timothy and let's start moving into our bible study for these next few moments because we're going to be looking at really a wonderful passage of scripture that gives three compelling insights to to resolve to help us to resolve to live a life according to the truth you see second timothy is, is such a remarkable book. It was actually written by Paul as he was, as he knew that he was going to uh, die. He was in prison. He knew that it was going to, that his death and his martyrdom was going to be almost uh, surely eminent. And so he writes out this, really his last book to his 
beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And, and, and he wrote these words, in a lot of ways, uh, dying words, uh, to Timothy, who was commissioned to uh, lead the church in Ephesus. And, and Paul knew that his time with him is going to come to a close, and so he writes this book. In some ways, it's essentially the last words of encouragement and, and instruction that Paul would ever give Timothy. And it's fascinating because he knew Timothy. And he knew that he was timid. He knew that he, that he, uh, that he enjoyed the companionship and the, and the authority and the love and the leadership from Paul. And so in these last few moments of his life, he writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, look, in the end, it hasn't really been about me, but it's been about the truth. So as you move on from here, the thing that I want you to be committed most to is the truth. Look at this. You look at 2 Timothy, just kind of winding up to our chapter in chapter 3, looking at that, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, Paul looking to Timothy, he said, look, um, verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Look to chapter 2. He says in verse 1, You then, my child, be, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, which you have heard in me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be also be able to teach others also. Look down a little bit further in verse 11. He says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So then he moves and he says, look, I know, I, I know that, that you may be tempted to be afraid, but, but you don't have to be afraid because you can leverage your whole life according to the truth that God is who he says he is and that you can follow him with your whole being. In a lot of, lay, in a lot of ways that Timothy was in that same crossroads. Now that Paul is going to be gone, now that I'm alone, what am I going to rely upon? What is it that I'm going to leverage my choices on? What am I going to do in terms of my days? How am I going to move forward? And Paul reminds him that it's to be according to the truth. So then as you see there in verse 22 in chapter 2, he starts to give him starts to give him the commandments. He's saying, look, I want you to live this way. I want you to move and live according to the truth. And he says, look, to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. Those who call upon the Lord from the pure heart have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their sentence, escaping the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I'm sure that, that Timothy's thinking that. He's like, really, me? I'm supposed to live that way? I'm supposed to leverage those things that way? You're calling me? That he's, he's scared and he realizes that Paul is at the end of his life. So as you can see through all those things that 
Paul has at his end goal to say, look, you have to make a choice. And this is your moment to actually believe and to leverage your life according to the truth. And I believe wholeheartedly that that is the crossroads that every single university student needs to come to is to ask yourself the question, why do I do what I do? And do I really truly believe that God is who he says he is and that his word is true? So much so that I'm willing to stake my life on it, my future on it, my relationships on it, my vocation on it, my classwork on it. Everybody has to come to that moment where they make it their own. And the Lord might be placing you into that same crossroads of saying you really have two choices. Either you're going to oppose the truth or you're going to follow the truth. There's no middle ground. And when you get squeezed, when you get put into that spot, and I believe wholeheartedly that your university years gives you that opportunity because after a while, you know, you know what? Nobody's really looking over my shoulder anymore. You know what, this really is my choice. What am I going to do? And for Timothy, in a lot of ways, he was at that crossroads. What am I going to do now that Paul's gone? What am I going to do now that I have to, now that I have to move forward on and to lead in the church without him by my side? And Paul says to him very clearly, it's never been about me. It's been about the truth. And so as we kind of move into here, let's look at these three compelling insights that Paul gives to Timothy to resolve to live his life in the truth, even, even in the midst of what could be some really daunting realities. The first one is this. This first compelling insight that Paul gives in this passage is this. Recognize, in order to, to resolve yourself, to live in the truth, first and foremost, you've got to recognize those who oppose the truth. You have to understand that, that there are people out there that oppose the truth. Look at this passage here. But understand this, reading God's word to us, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and, and capture weak women burdened with sins and lay us, led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also Oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to them, as it was of those two men. 
those two men mentioned there in verse 8 was actually a reference to uh, church history acknowledges that that, that was more, more than likely the names of the two magicians that opposed Moses in Exodus chapter 7. And so this list, this list is actually a list of a characteristics of people who oppose the truth. Do you see it there? People who are opposing the truth are not people that are outside of the believing community, but actually inside the believing community. First Timothy was written to try and help him to address false teachers. Here he's saying, Timothy, resolve to live in the truth and let us look first and foremost. You have to recognize what it looks like for somebody who opposes the truth because the fact of the matter is, is all of those, all of those expressions of people who oppose the truth actually have an arrogance of which that they have some sort of truth that you're missing out on. You want to know why I act this way? You want to know why I'm, I have a lack of self-control? You want to know why I'm slanderous or ungrateful or, or disobedient to my parents or, or rather have a, an air of godliness? Is because I'm trying to communicate that actually you're a sucker. You're a fundamentalist, old school, irrelevant person who's just taking God as his word. You're just a lemming. You're just drinking the fruit punch. You don't know what it really means. You want to, you're, you're a part of the system. You just want to be like the man. Let me tell you what it's like to not. Do you want to know what's really? Listen, all that, if you want to listen that way, if you want to go that way, that's fine. But this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to be constrained by the truth. Isn't it so fascinating that people who don't want to be constrained by the truth just kind of opt in and out as to what truths they want to obey? Oh, this truth I want to obey, but this truth I don't want to obey. Yeah, I'm going to leverage this, and I'm going to, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to look and see as which I, I'm going to obey the truth, but yet in the end, I'm not going to. I'm going to speak one way in front of your face, but yet I'm going to be slanderous behind your back. I'm going to be perceived as humble, but actually arrogant in my heart. But in the end, their folly will be revealed. Do you see that there in verse 9? But in the end, they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was to those two men. Here's the fact, friends. Listen, I've been around this community for quite a long time, and I can just tell you that time and truth go together. I have people, I have people who have, who have had this facade of living according to the truth, being resolved to that, and then they set five years outside of this institution and absolve all of it. Is that in the end, what seems to be short-term gain is never long-term satisfaction. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, look, Timothy. And I, and I say to us, 
look and to think here for a moment that when, the, when you feel like the ship is going down and you have to jump into a lifeboat in order to survive, I'm telling you, the temptation to get on a boat that is characterized by these things is incredibly tempting. Because it seems easier, it seems quicker, it seems like you know where it's going to go. It seems like, honestly, there's a lot of people on that boat. But in the end, that Paul says, look, if you want to be one who is resolved to live in the truth, the first and foremost, you have to recognize and remember, you have to recognize those who oppose the truth. Do you see that there? Do you see you there? And to be able to realize that in the end, it's not your circumstances, it's not your parents, it's not your immaturity, but rather, bottom line is, the reason why we act this way is because we oppose the truth. We do. So Paul says, listen, one of the ways, one of the insightful ways that we resolve to live according to the truth is first and foremost, just recognize that that pathway doesn't get you anywhere. That in the end, haven't we all set foot on that pathway? Trying to think that somehow that the world has some sort of insight and truth that's better than God and his word? And that as you walk down that pathway, how many testimonies do we have to give that that testimony and that pathway doesn't go anywhere? And Paul says to young Timothy, dear friend, as you're setting foot to feel the full weight of your responsibility, of your leadership, of your life in Christ, the first insight to being resolved to live in the truth is to remember those who oppose the truth. And not to be like them. And to catch your heart when you're tempted to do so. Here's a second insight that's there. First is to, first is to recognize those who oppose the truth. The second one is this. Remember, remember those who follow the truth. Look there in verse 10. You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch and at Lyconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet for all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and, and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you see the contrast here? The contrast between the short-lived, narrow-sighted, expressions of those who oppose the truth and the full and complete unhindered testimony of a person who does you can always see and remember somebody who's following in the truth because they don't fall by the wayside when it gets hard 
Do you want to know why that is? Is because the reality is that those who oppose the truth can only rely upon their own truth to get through their situations. And the bottom line is, is that they get stuck. They feel the weight of it and they can't get out from under it. And so they're, 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 they've cobbled together a, a ladder of their own making and it's starting to buckle under the weight of who they are and they get afraid and scared and, that they, and they have to climb back down the ladder. But rather those who are find their their foundation and their steps and their pathways according to God's word can actually withstand just about anything. And that there's no secret door. Oh, the beauty of living and watching a life who is consistent in every single area of life. Not because they're a wonderful person, but because they have a consistency in the truth whether they're in a play or whether they're on the baseball field or whether they're on a Thursday night or whether they're worshiping on Sunday morning, that the consistency through the diversity of their life is the truth of God's word. So that when it comes, just like the waves upon the rock, they don't move away. The truth is defined outside of them, not inside of them. And he says, look, remember those who follow the truth. So if you think about it, as, you, as you're standing before that crossroads of saying, what am I really going to believe? Am I really going to take God at his word and leverage and listen to him and trust him and move forward in loving obedience in this hard challenge that's before me? And you're looking at those two pathways Paul is giving to us. Yea, verily, God himself, inspired by his spirit, is giving to us through his word. He's saying, look at those two pathways. Remember them. Think about them. Remember the pathways of those who oppose the truth and then look and follow those who do. Because in the end, you will see the reality and the value of what they believe once the dross is burned off from the heat and the challenges of this life. Because everybody's on the Christian boat when it's fun. Everybody believes and celebrates God's word when it's blue skies. But it's during the darkest days when there are other entry gates, there are off-ramps, there are plausible lies that can distract someone. What are we going to be about? This is your time. These are your days. And as much as, as much as today that it's about whether or not I should take out this student loan, whether or not I should take out that gal, whether or not I should take this new major, whether or not I should take this internship, the same thing applies as to whether or not I should go to this church or leave or step up and speak into the marketplace or not, or whether I should adopt or not, or whether I should travel internationally or not, that the mortgages of your life, the things that actually can crush you seemingly by the world, is fortified under the fact that you know that God is right and true and you can follow him.
Because there's a level of mystery, isn't there? I am truly convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that in the end, that when we stand before the choice that we're about ready to make, stand there, there's a choice there. We see God and his promises. And we set foot and we're ready to take that step that everybody holds their breath for just a second every time and they go, am I going to get jipped here? The reason why you and I struggle in our step out in faith to obey God's word and to be resolved to live according to the truth is because at the bottom line, what we're most concerned about is whether or not we're going to get the rug pulled out from under us. That somehow there's some sort of fine print there's some sort of thing that I missed out. That if I really do trust God in his word and I leap out in obedience to him, that God somehow is going to say, yeah, you did that, but you didn't do this. And so therefore, you're not going to get the full reward. But what Paul's saying here, he's saying, listen, look at what happens. Look at the pathways and to know that as you step out in faith that there isn't a trap door, that there isn't a, some sort of secret handshake that you didn't get, but in the end, those who oppose the truth will be exposed and those who follow the truth will gain reward, period, end of sentence. So we have to remember that when we're really scared or timid, just like Timothy was, that it's not necessarily that we don't mentally assent ourselves that we believe that God is holy and that his word is true, but that can I internalize it and believe it and risk my life on it? Everybody has to get to that place, friends. So this third insight that he gives, in terms of we talk about resolving to live in the truth. First, recognize those who oppose the truth. Secondly, remember those who follow the truth. And then thirdly, is to then relinquish your life according to the truth. So we finish this, this chapter with probably one of the most famous verses, certainly in our circles. And it states this, that all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What Paul is saying here, and what is the Word of God is saying to us, is that there's no higher calling, reason, ideal, effort that is more worthy to relinquish your life to other than the truth of God's Word. To be able to say that, that in the end, that the most complete and sufficient and authoritative truth that has been given to you out of all the things that you can think and know and understand, that there is only one that is worthy enough to relinquish your life to, and that is God's word. It's sufficient. It's complete. And it addresses every issue of life. That's the real folly of those who oppose the truth. The folly of those who oppose the truth is that there's actually kind of a little bit of a semblance of best practices that actually kind of mm, works for a little bit. 
But there's a little bit of like, well, if I do this and I do that, then, then I can get these sorts of things. But, but what ends up happening is, and what it speaks about in the first part of this chapter, is that it says that, that in the end, their folly is going to find itself out. They're going to realize that they don't have all the cards to play, that they don't have every angle figured out. And as, that is true as I'm standing here, that the reality is, is that in the end, the self-construction of somebody's own rhetoric will eventually get to a place where God will not be mocked and that you, the person will reap what they sow. But those who follow the truth, that's not the case. Even in the midst of suffering, they still are believing because they know that even in their suffering, all those things will work together for good. And so Paul says here, he goes, the only thing, the only place that there's no hidden knowledge, in the end, the place that you want to relinquish your life according to the truth is according to God's word. Let's look at this together. And this is by way of reminder to us. First and foremost, that all scripture is breathed out by God. Translated, it means every scripture, every text, Think about that for a second. Every text. That means that what Paul is saying here is that to resolve your life to live according to the truth, you have to relinquish yourself to every single text. There isn't a text in today's day and age. I don't know if you're, if, if you're capturing what's happening in today's society, but everybody kind of plays by whatever rules that everybody's playing with, and then once it gets hard, they relinquish themselves especially within politics. So they all get together and everybody goes and then a hard decision comes and what happens? When there's a hard decision, a leader relinquishes themselves from voting or they abstain from giving input. What it's saying here is that is that when you subject yourself to the truth, you subject yourself in your totality to the totality of scripture. There isn't one that's outside of the spectrum of what God has breathed out. And that's what it says there, that it's breathed out by him, that it's, that it's inspired, that it's literally, the literal translation is that it's breathed out by God, that it's given by life by God himself. Therefore, it's reflective of his nature and his character, that what you hold in your hand and what you turn on in an app is literally God's word to you in every scripture. In every way. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because that's the crossroads where you're at today. Am I really going to relinquish myself to the truth? What Paul's saying here is that there's actually no greater truth on the planet to relinquish your life to than to Scripture. Why? First and foremost, that it's in its totality. Secondly, that it's been given by God himself. And now let's look at these four little characteristics that I want to give to you to encourage you today. Here's the first one, as you see here in this verse. The first one is this. The reason why you can relinquish your life according to the truth is that it defines reality. That the word of God actually defines reality. That it holds a complete body of truth. That's what it means. That, that teaching, that word teaching there, means that it's a comprehensive, complete body of truth. That, that it is the actual um, 
the actual canon of or the completeness of truth, that there's nothing that is absent from it. It's complete. It's not, half, it's not half of a sentence or half of a narrative. It's complete and that it's profitable, that it's relevant. Nine times out of ten, the, the, the way that people get out of relinquishing their heart to the truth is usually saying, well, that doesn't apply. Well, that doesn't apply. Well, that doesn't apply. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant to what's happening in my life. Right here in this text that Paul says that, Timothy, you can relinquish your life to the truth. Why? Because it's complete and it's relevant. It relates. It applies. That there's no area of life by which that the Word of God doesn't speak directly to. Objective reality is not up for grabs. But that when you think about it, in your own life, when you, start to, when you start to move through the truth of your life as to why you're making decisions, you have to ask yourself the question, what truth am I basing this reality on? Am I basing this reality upon my subjective perception or on the objective reality of God's word? When you're trying to gain perspective, where do you go? Where do you go? Timothy's going to have to do that. He's going to have to say, where am I going to go? Where are you going to go? When you have to make decisions, as you have to think about it, where are you going to find yourself in? And, and you have to ask yourself the question, where are you going to go to gain perspective? What defines reality for you? John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. That God's word, it defines reality, and it does so truthfully and accurately. That's why Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says that the word of God is sweeter than the honeycomb and it's more valuable than gold. Why? Because think about it. The access to complete truth is more valuable than anything in this life. And that the word of God does that, that it defines reality. And you have to ask yourself the question, as you are one who wants to resolve to live in the truth, first and foremost, where do you go to gain perspective? And where does God's word have to relate to that? And you have to ask yourself the question, why is that? Secondly, first and foremost, it, it, it defines reality. Secondly, it convicts and corrects. It convicts and corrects. Scripture uh, exposes the brokenness of this world, but yet at the same time, uh, the human heart, it's used by God to bring conviction and, and, sin and, and, and healing to your bones. So many times people are afraid to read, read God's word or to move God's word into their own heart because they're actually afraid of what it might expose. Isn't that fair? Can't we all just admit that? That that's what's scary about God's word? And that's what's scary about people who know God's word and know us. Is to be able to say, wait a minute, I might be exposed. And that's what it says, that the Bible does that. That the Bible brings reproof, that, that it identifies error. But, but that isn't where it's left. It also then corrects. And, and that correction has this idea of setting a broken bone. It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like mending a net. That the scriptures themselves not just identify and to see what is sinful and wrong, but it also has the power and the capacity 
to be used by God to actually mend your soul. Like a scalpel, like a scalpel in the hand of a loving physician, so too is the word of God used by the Spirit to cut out the maladies of our brokenness and to renew our complete beings in ways that are more healthy and beautiful than to allow that malignancy to grow. Do you want that? Are you ready to embrace that? Because that's the deep end of the pool, isn't it? That you would say, I would rather, I would rather know and be known under the righteousness and the loving care of my God than to, than to flourish in hiddenness by my own agenda. What gives us the capacity to be able to relinquish ourselves to the truth in this way, especially when we know that the truth convicts and corrects, is to recognize that you're not at risk. That you're not at risk. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe that you're not at risk? That if everybody knew what you knew, that you would not be at risk? But to understand and to know that there is a God who's created you and a God who knows you and that while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, not by any of your beauty, not by any of your works, has come and rescued you. So therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the sinfulness of sin says that you are condemned. That if somebody does know that God isn't going to, that he can't, that you're at risk. If you really do submit to the word of God in its totality, if you really do relinquish your life to it, that when it comes and convicts, you will be locked away forever. But yet the beauty of the gospel says, no, you're not going to be locked away forever, but rather you've been released. You were a slave to your sin, but now Romans 6 says that you're alive in Christ. Why? Because Christ has come to redeem you. Live out the gospel according to the riches of his word. And then the beauty is, is that it comes to correct. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 4. Look at this for a minute. Hebrews 4 Very familiar passage, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. That there is this reality of, of understanding that, that we are exposed before God and the word of God moves in there. But then look in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that being Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see both sides there? 
Do you see both the conviction of what the Word of God does and also the correction that comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ? You can submit yourself. You can relinquish yourself to the Word of God because you're not at risk. Finally, it gives hope. It talks about talks about there that it also educates for righteous living. You can see that there. That it does, that it trains us for righteousness. Everybody wants to know what the right thing to do is. If there's anything that handicaps following the truth, it's that. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm telling you that saying the question, I don't know what to do, is not an excuse not to do anything. And sometimes I don't, want to, I don't know what to do. So you're searching. Somebody's searching, always learning, learning, but never coming to the truth. The Bible says that you don't have to search any longer. If you want to know what the right thing to do is that the Word of God gives you that and to apply that. Romans 12, 1 through 3 says that, that as you let the Word of Christ do on you richly, that you'll be able to make decisions. You'll be able to make choices between good and evil. That to understand that the Word of God itself trains us it educates us to be able to know what is right to do finally there it also gives courage and hope as you can see that there it does it gives courage and hope how it says in the end that 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 the word of god is it it equips and it makes us complete for every good work and what that means there is that this completeness saying that that you're ready and you're qualified don't think, young person, that, that you have to get prepared in order to live life. That somehow you don't know the Bible enough and that you have to learn more, that you have to study more, that you have to serve more in order for you to live the distinctively Christian life. According to this passage, it says right now that as you relinquish your life to the Word of God, that you are, according to its truth, complete to be able to make choices today. And that you can have courage knowing that you're going to be equipped for every good work, that as you step out and you, and you work out in faith and you relinquish your heart to the truth, that the rug's not going to get pulled out from you, that somehow you're going to find yourself in a situation that God is not going to meet you, that you're going to be at risk and that you're not going to be equipped to deal with the situation in a way that brings him most glory and you most joy. Everybody has to come to that place of resolve in their life. Everybody does. And I don't know what that crossroads is going to be for you. But my hope is, is that you take advantage of the opportunity now in the smallest choices of your life. Why am I going to get up early today and spend time alone daily with God? Why am I not going to go to these particular things? Why am I going to drive and pursue in these areas? To feel and to understand that in the end, why do you believe what you believe? Not just to continue to take what is right to believe, but to take what is right and perfect and holy in God's word and to move it into your soul. And the way that you prove that is that you follow the way of the truth you recognize those who oppose the truth and that you relinquish your life to the truth so that your life can be transformed isn't that why you came to the university isn't that why you're studying here not just to get a degree but to have your life transformed the crossroads to that is asking yourself the question, am I going to be resolved to living in the truth? And Paul gave that to Timothy. And the Holy Spirit gives that to us. And might we live accordingly. Pursue God's word. And invite your friends to help you along the way.
Help me to understand. Invite me. Am I seeing this rightly? Am I seeing God's word rightly? Am I seeing this situation rightly? And to be able to, so all of us might stir one another up towards love and good deeds towards that end. Might we live according and resolve ourselves to the truth this way. Let me pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we do thank you for some extended time in God's word as we've reflected together, both as, as we've invested and cared for this community by taking the survey and, um, and investing our time as well as looking into God's word. And Lord, as we've taken that extra time today, I just pray that the reflection of our hearts might be, how can we today resolve ourselves to live according to the truth in the small and everyday moments that you've given us so that you might, O oh Lord, transform our lives and that we might live in a way that's most glorious to you and for our greatest joy. I pray for the students towards that end in the name of Jesus.